0: Amen. Now, we're going to start on this 31st talk uh, to look at the next big section of John. It's, uh, as I pointed out before, there's the introductory material and then the book of signs, which we just finished. And now the book of glory, it's called. And these are the words the commentators have been using for a long time, and they're quite apt. Because this is where God reveals His glory. Where? The cross. The act of love in which Jesus died is the radiant manifestation of the love between the Father and the Son and of God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit for us. And so it's glorious. It gets his name, therefore, you see from chapters 18 to 21. But it begins with these discourses, which go from chapter 13 to 17. Uh, and that's what we're going to be starting to look at today. Uh, it's not uncommon within the Scriptures or outside the Scriptures to have the person you've been talking about pronounce a farewell discourse. Paul, for instance, at Miletus, is... Uh, gives a farewell. He says, I'm never going to see you again. I know that. And this is these other things. I've never, you know, been responsible for anybody's murder or anybody's, you know. And I've given you the word of God. And he goes on. But they start in the Bible with Jacob. In Genesis 49, there's a farewell discourse. Moses in Deuteronomy 33. Joshua in Joshua 24. All these are the last chapters of these specific books. Samuel. Uh one first Samuel twelve, that's not the end of a book, it's the end of a life. And David in um, 1 first Kings two, one to two. And then as I said already, Paul in Acts, in the speech at Miletus in chapter in Acts twenty. And then there are others in the Jewish tradition that are not canonical, like the the testaments of the twelve patriarchs, that's their farewell discourses, as composed many years later the testament of Isaac, and so forth. So, this is our Lord's last will and testament. The interesting thing, of course, is this. That our last, our Lord's last will and testament is the Holy Spirit, the new law. That's the last will and testament. And these verbal expressions and directions and instructions are beautiful but they take life within the believer uh, from the Holy Spirit. We read, for instance, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, I think. Uh, now, this is the one who came through water and blood. Not water alone, but water and blood. And the Spirit bears witness. Now, when we ever get there to do those letters of John, you'll see the one who came... Past tense. Hoelton, the caming one. Literally, we don't have that form of verb in English. And the Spirit is tomartirun, the one bearing witness, you see. The present work of the Spirit is to bring alive for us the past work of the Son. And that's why He brings it all to life and makes it life-giving for us. So that's why so much of this uh, discourse of our Lord, which we're starting tonight, um, is um, about the Holy Spirit. Five times in these discourses, our Lord Jesus Christ promises the paraclete. When we come to the first one, in chapter 14, I'll stop and explain what's the background of the notion of paraclete. But for now, we're going to move on and look at the text as we have it, starting with chapter 13. Um, And so, there we read, uh, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that the hour had come for him to pass over from this world toward the Father. And very interestingly enough, John is careful to use pros ton patera, you may remember when we last time I really discussed this this preposition pros is in the very opening line of the prologue in the beginning was the logos and the logos was pros ton theon now into that infinite eternal movement toward the father our lord's whole being his whole humanity is now being caught up So that his whole being will be defined as pros ton patera, except that the journey to the Father now goes through the cross. And so, this journey pros ton patera, you see, uh, the hour had come for him to pass from this world pros ton patera. Uh, which is how he sums up the whole passion. Then, he says nextly, nextly, having loved his own, in the world. It's a very tender thought. His own. The ones closest to him. All those who are willing to believe in him, but close friends. See, having loved his own ento cosmo in the world, you see, uh, he loved them is telos, unto the end, or to the utmost, or to the extreme. He went to the total extreme of love. He laid down his life for us. And so, that's how John begins this new section. Uh, So, while the supper was in progress, he hasn't said anything except the first line, the feast of the Passover. Now we know that uh, this is the supper before that feast. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the first part of the Passover, is the supper. But while the supper was in progress, the devil, already having put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, that he should betray him. That's one condition. The next one, knowing that the Father gave everything into his hands, that he, Jesus, came out from God, and that he was going to God, rose from the meal, and put aside his garment, and taking a towel, tied it around himself. Then he put water into the basin, and he began to wash the feet of his disciples, and dry them with the towel with which he was girt. Now what is our Lord doing here? He's acting out the future, and letting them see... As I'm going to try to point out, this is the service, you see. Uh, all right, let's go through those again, you see. Uh, he uh, rose from the table, put aside his garment, his outer garment, you see, tied a towel around himself, put water in the basin, and started to wash the feet of his disciples. Watch that rhythm. Though he was in the form of God... He did not consider being equal to God, something to be clung to. Rather, he emptied himself. He took off his outer garment, you see? And uh, he wrapped himself in a towel, you know, having, taking the form of a slave. And having become, you see, in all things equal to men, uh, he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, death on the cross. And this acted out parable, you see, He rose from the meal, put aside his garment, took a towel and tied it around himself, the sign of a slave. Then he put water into the basin and he did the work of a slave. He began to wash the feet of his disciples and dry them with the towel with which he was girt. He's telling them in an acted out parable, this is what's going to happen. This is very important because you see, this is the share in the diakonia of Christ, the service. This menial service now, you see, is a acted-out prophecy of the diakonia, the service. There are so many times where that word is used with overtones of uh, uh, passion. Let the same mind be in you there was in Christ Jesus. This is from Philippians. Though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him, and gave him the name which is above every other name. He tore off his garment, wrapped himself in the livery of a slave, washed their feet. He's acting out this diakonia, this service, which is laying down his life. Let me give you some examples of how this word is used. It is, this is Paul in the Philippians, further on in the same chapter too. It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and offering of your faith, you see, my preaching is the wine libation over your offering of faith, which shares in the passion. I am glad and rejoice with all of you, and in the same way you must be glad and rejoice with me. Um, I could give you other examples, but I'll give you one. For the Son of Man, this is in Mark 10.45. Uh, the disciples have just been arguing about who's the greatest. And um, actually, this is the one where after the after the uh, prediction of the Passion, James and John go up to Jesus and want to have the best places. Every time our Lord predicts the Passion, it's especially clear in Mark, but it's in all of the Gospels, the very next thing that happens is, the disciples don't get it. The very first one, chapter 8 in Mark, huh? uh, he, he predicts this, and uh, the next thing they're arguing about, who's the greatest? They don't get it. You see? And then there's another one in 9, and now this one in 10, which is the last one. And uh, he, he, they come and say, let us be at your right hand and your left says, You don't know what you're asking. You know, you have to realize that... Uh, The greatest is the servant of all. Now let's get this straight. Being servant of all is not the way to a promotion. It's already the greatest place. If I were to promote you out of it, I'd be doing you a disservice. To be the last and the least and the servant of all, that's the greatest place you can have in the kingdom. That's my place. As he says, For the Son of Man Himself came not to serve, the same word, the aquanine, but to serve, and his service, to give his life as a ransom for many. So that if you're down at the bottom of the heap with me, you're the greatest in the kingdom. Then he goes on to talk about, so when you have authority, don't lord it over people. People in the world, if they have a little bit of authority, they make their authority felt. And he says explicitly in these words, it is not to be like that among you. The greatest among you should be the least. And then this statement that I just read now. Because the Son of Man, myself, I came not to be served, but to serve. And my service is to pour out my blood for you. Amen.